electricity. Whether it's Wi-Fi or a waffle maker, it helps us do everything. And transporting that electricity is a risky venture. Especially as conditions become hotter and drier, sending electrical current across large distances is becoming more and more difficult. Pacific Gas and Electric, commonly known as PG&E, supplies power to 16 million people around California and has been a household name since the gold rush. But even after a century in business, they're still learning just how difficult energy transmission can be. In January of 2019, following years of huge wildfires in their service territory, PG&E filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So how did the largest utility in the US go from household name to being blamed for wildfires? This week on Learn Baby Burn, we're looking at PG&E and fire. Specifically, how the company may have caused dozens of wildfires, and what's being done to help those affected in the aftermath. First, a bit of background. PG&D is a giant. They are the largest and most profitable electric utility company in the U.S., employing over 23,000 people and pulling in over $17 billion in revenue last year alone. Formed in 1852 as the San Francisco Gas Company, they were major innovators in California's booming gas industry and helped to make gas-powered street lighting available to the growing city of San Francisco. After becoming Pacific Gas and Electric in 1905, they erected tens of thousands of miles of electrical lines and swallowed up their competition to become the behemoth they are today. While their rise saw them necessarily embraced by Californians, they've caught more than a little bit of negative press and have a notoriously spotty track record. For example, from 1952 to 1966, they dumped roughly 370 million gallons of toxic wastewater into public waters, which resulted in the largest direct action lawsuit in American history. More recently, between 2012 and 2016, they falsified tens of thousands of call-before-you-dig records, which caused dozens of excavators to hit active pipelines. And in 2010, an explosion in a PG&E pipeline, caused by defective welding and a lack of testing, killed eight people. But while you might have missed those other stories, you've undoubtedly seen them in the news recently, for their part in the unprecedented wildfires that California has seen over the past five years. It turns out that their name is tied to these fires for good reason. Investigators have proven that since 2014, PG&D equipment has caused almost 2,000 separate fires in their service territory. Investigators repeatedly cite a lack of maintenance as the main issue causing these fires. But they're a massive corporation. Maintenance is an incredibly important and very basic part of their operations. In order to understand how something as essential as routine maintenance could be to blame, we need to understand the difference between a publicly owned utility and one that is privately owned, like PG&D. Let's start with publicly owned utilities. Publicly owned utilities are owned either by local governments or directly by their customers. They are nonprofit entities, and because they answer to their customers first, 
they tend to have higher customer satisfaction ratings, contribute more money to state and local governments, and even lend resources to fellow utilities during natural disasters. Because they're nonprofit and don't have shareholders to pay back, most of their revenue ends up going towards maintaining and updating their equipment. This results in shorter power outages, which tend to last less than half as long as the national average, and electricity that can be up to 14% cheaper than that supplied by a private utility. Now, a privately owned utility, also known as an investor-owned utility, is owned primarily by their investors. They operate for a profit, the main purpose of which is to earn a return for these investors. This means that executives have good reason to listen to shareholders about where they feel revenue should be allocated. This is crucial. Many of the investors don't live in the areas where their companies provide power, so they aren't directly affected by their decisions in the way those running public utilities are. Likewise, there isn't much of an incentive for them to act in accordance with public safety laws since those laws tend to infringe on their profits. To keep private utilities in check, States create public utility commissions, or PUCs, which are regulatory agencies that overlook the operations of private utilities. The California Public Utilities Commission, or CPUC, is one of these agencies, regulating investor-owned electric and gas utilities in the state of California. Even with the oversight of CPUC, PG&E has a long history of making bad decisions about keeping their equipment safe. The question in the eyes of many is whether that's the fault of PG&E, who should know better than to let their equipment degrade, or CPUC, whose duty it is to make sure investor-owned utilities behave in accordance with the law. The answer isn't clear-cut, but we can better understand the relationship between PG&E and CPUC if we look to their past. And, unfortunately, when we look there, what we find isn't encouraging. As I mentioned earlier, in 2010, PG&E's equipment caused a pipeline explosion that killed eight people. Investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board determined that the pipe, which was installed in 1956, was improperly welded. Now, it's easy to blame PG&E for not maintaining their pipes, but the investigation also mentioned a 1961 rule by the California Public Utilities Commission that exempted any pipelines built before 1961 from pressure testing, which helps expose weak pipes in need of repair. They noted that resources for CPUC had been reduced over the years, which increased their reliance on self-assessment from utilities. While it may be true that their reliance on self-assessment was tied to a lack of funding, Unearthed email exchanges between higher-ups in the Public Utilities Commission and PG&E paint a different picture. The emails ranged from friendly conversation about dinner parties, to joking about physically muzzling vocal opponents of PG&E, to openly coordinating on the severity of the regulatory agency's responses to PG&E's mistakes. After these emails leaked, two executives were fired and five resigned but not before more emails leaked, showing that this inappropriate communication had extended even into the world of wildfire prevention. In 2012, while demanding that two Southern California utilities create explicit fire prevention plans, CPUC informally asked PG&E to determine whether or not a fire prevention plan was even necessary for their company. Arguing that Northern California doesn't encounter wind-driven fire in the summer, 
The Public Utilities Commission was told that PG&D had done their due diligence and decided that they could safely do without a fire prevention plan. CPUC's acceptance of this determination shows that both organizations displayed a similar disregard for consumer safety. These revelations are especially frustrating considering the past five years of fires and the irreversible damage they have caused. It all signals one thing. CPUC was clearly not holding PG&D to the standard that they should have reserved for one of the biggest utilities in the world. CPUC's inability to monitor PG&E's activities, coupled with PG&E's profit-driven disregard for public safety, led PG&E's equipment to slowly degrade over the years. But I'm sure you're wondering, how bad could it be? The campfire has become the deadliest wildfire in California history. Four dead in the California wildfires. 42 of those victims killed in the campfire in Northern California. As we said, the deadliest, most destructive in state history. I couldn't breathe. The air was so hot. It was burning my lungs. I thought I was going to die right there. people there killed and nearly 7,000 structures destroyed. There, including the, the town, town of Paradise, Paradise is basically which is in ruins. CEO of PG&E appeared before a judge today to answer for the 84 lives taken in the campfire. manslaughter as a felony concerning the death of Matilda Heffron. Guilty, Your Honor. They're, they're accepting blame. We all feel like they got away late. 84 people did not need to die. If PG&E had done its job. PG&E is in the history books as the first utility in the world to use transmission lines to transport electricity from a central plant to consumers. As they grew in the early 20th century, they built tens of thousands of miles of lines, weaving across the state of California. As their service area increased, their profits skyrocketed, and they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on new infrastructure. But this was decades ago. More recently, their responsibility to keep equipment up to date has been repeatedly superseded by their desire to provide profit to investors and executives. A Wall Street Journal report found that, in order to keep their equipment up to date, PG&E would need to replace 1,200 miles of its oldest distribution lines every year. Currently, PG&E replaces only 100 miles a year. The report found that at this rate, of 100 miles a year, it would take 230 years to replace their entire system, which is composed of lines that have a typical useful life of only 80 years. In a 2013 letter to the California Public Utilities Commission, PG&E promised to replace six aging transmission towers. In 2014, they repeated the claim. Same in 2015 and 2016, and it's almost certain that they would have repeated the claim again in 2017 were it not for winds that hit one of these under-maintained towers, causing the campfire and ultimately killing 86 people. The tower hadn't received a detailed in-person inspection since 2001, but had received an aerial inspection just three months prior to the campfire. However, the inspection categorized the problems found as ones that could be fixed sometime in the next year, instead of giving them the urgent label they desperately required. Other towers nearby were also investigated in the weeks before the campfire, 
but investigators used an outdated form following ancient repair criteria. After the campfire, utilizing the state-required inspection standards that should have been used all along, PG&D found 29 high-priority problems on the transmission line containing the tower that caused the campfire, and was forced to shut the line down. The fire caused by that tower was fire number 1,961 caused by PG&D since records began in 2014. There are dozens of reports like this, displaying a lack of effort by PG&D to keep equipment safe and modern, and address basic safety concerns around their equipment. A report following the 2010 pipeline explosion stated explicitly that PG&D had a corporate culture that emphasized, quote, profits over safety. When asked about PG&E's cooperation with past fire prevention efforts, former CPUC commissioner Mark Farron had this to say, quote, on a scale from 1 to 10, where 10 is really obstructive and 0 is completely cooperative, I would have put PG&D at a 9. This mentality feeds their investor-first attitude, which proved itself again when PG&D made $5 billion in dividend payments just before filing for bankruptcy. Regardless of the harm their negligence had caused, and the fact that they had just given $5 billion to their investors, they then proceeded to ask the California government for a $1.6 billion tax deduction, citing, quote, wildfire-related expenditures. So, we've seen how PG&E's size and influence has made it easy for them to sidestep oversight by the California Public Utilities Commission. Unfortunately, the process of holding a corporation accountable for wrongdoing is very complicated. PG&E is one of only 17 companies in the history of the U.S. to have been convicted of a felony. So, believe it or not, there's not much precedent for the process of punishing a massive corporation. More often than not, accountability looks like a financial slap on the wrist rather than direct punishment for the executives responsible. PG&D's case was no different. In June of 2020, after pleading guilty to 84 counts of involuntary manslaughter from the campfire, a California judge ordered PG&D to pay a whopping $3.5 million, which comes out to 0.02% of their annual revenue or the equivalent of what they make in a single week. The judge overseeing the case felt compelled to say that were a human convicted of these crimes, they would be sentenced to 90 years in state prison. Now, PG&D isn't totally out of the woods. CPUC hit them with almost $2 billion in fines. They owe $30 billion in liability from various fires, and are currently paying $13.5 billion to victims of the fires. So, in some sense, it certainly appears that PG&E is being held accountable. However, many would argue that these fines barely begin to repay decades of negligence. Since California depends on their infrastructure, dismantling PG&E entirely isn't really an option. So, the state of California has stepped in to make sure they're fairly punished, and their mistakes aren't repeated. 
PG&D is eligible to take funds from a $20 billion wildfire fund that California lawmakers made in 2019. But to remain eligible, PG&D must continue to follow state supervision as they emerge from bankruptcy. California Governor Gavin Newsom is taking steps to ensure PG&D doesn't repeat their mistakes again by, among other things, making sure half of the company's new board is California residents, and by relying on an independent executive recruiting firm to select new, qualified CEOs. PG&D, for their part, is scrambling to trim trees near vulnerable power lines, installing video monitoring near high-threat towers, and setting up weather monitoring stations, especially near more outdated lines in high-fire-risk territory. PG&E plans to spend $9.5 billion on wildfire mitigation over the next two years, but citizens are cautiously optimistic. Scott Newman, who lost several buildings in 2019 to a fire started by PG&E equipment, said, quote, PG&E does have to do better. I do see their efforts. I hope that I'm not just being naive. So this is where we are. PG&E has emerged from bankruptcy and is scrambling to implement safety standards that should have been in place all along. With climate change increasing wildfire activity and intensity, PG&D will undoubtedly be tested persistently in the coming years. It is my sincerest hope that their changes prove fruitful and that California residents be spared other tragedies like that of the campfire. But it's vitally important that we not lose sight of the wrongdoings that made these fires happen. PG&E's adherence to safety standards is a massive part of the problem, and it's our duty to continue electing officials that hold corporations accountable. But as far as fire management goes, this is only one piece of a much larger puzzle. Forestry practices like prescribed fire are integral to the safety of those living in fire-dependent ecosystems, and there's no doubt that there's plenty of work to be done before we can say that we're maintaining our nation's forests properly. PG&E's work to modernize their equipment and improve safety is necessary to the future stability of our country's infrastructure and the health of our environment. But we need to get ready to get our hands dirty, too. Fire shouldn't be something to be scared of. It should be part of our culture, a tool we use to give back to the ecosystems that depend on fire for restoration, regrowth, and reproduction. It will take persistent effort from ecologists and fire practitioners to make the most fire-dependent places in America safe. But if we follow the science and work through past mistakes, it's only a matter of time before we can safely coexist with fire. And please, don't forget to vote. Thanks for listening to Learn Baby Burn, brought to you by the Michigan Prescribed Fire Council. Learn Baby Burn is written, edited, and produced by me, Paul Mayer. Music by me, Paul Mayer. Be sure to leave us a review and subscribe if you want to hear more. We'll see you next time.